you so much for what you've shared and maybe what you will continue to share. I've always thought that life, if I pay attention, is my greatest teacher. The people around me, if I pay attention, are my greatest teachers. To learn from people, to learn from, from experiences, to learn from whether it's strangers showing up on our doorstep, whether it's treadmills at the gym, whether it's questions that we have about what does it mean to trust God, what does it mean that God is everywhere in this creation. Life has so much to teach us if I pay attention. I would be such a diminished person if I thought the only time I could learn from God is between 11 and 12 here on Sunday morning. It's just much bigger than that. It's just an amazing wealth of insight as I look to listen. And I don't always pay attention. I'm a very distractible person, and I distract myself very easy, especially when I think I know I'm the one that's right, and I don't want to have to learn. Let's do a little bit of a shift. In the world of organizational change, there's a fellow by the name of John Cotter who wrote a book years ago about the eight-step change model, and I'm not going to go into all the details about that. It's just a very popular model. It's been used by Fortune 500 companies, mom-and-pop businesses, been used by uh, churches um, to navigate their way through change. And basically what he says sounds kind of standard, but it's actually good. It's important to have a vision, communicate the vision, remove the obstacles, create short-term wins, all of that. But what's interesting is his first step. The first step, he says, is you have to create urgency. If an organization is going to experience change, the first step is the organization needs to create a sense of urgency around the need for change. doesn't mean you have to get everyone to panic. doesn't mean you have to have doomsday scenarios. It simply means you identify the potential threats, you look at the scenarios for the future, you see what opportunities exist. And then you have honest conversations with people and get them starting to talk and to think. Now, as I hear what he writes, what I hear is this, that the key to moving an organization forward is to move it from a place of indifference to this place of initiative. Getting that organization to realize that it has the power within itself to act, the power to choose, the power to seize whatever opportunities exist before it. And in many ways, to create its own future. Now, I'm not going to talk about organizations this morning. What I want to do is bring this down to a personal level. I think this is as true with individuals because in reality, there are some people, and I've been this way before, but I think there are other people in life who are simply the kind of folks who live in a place of non-urgency. Now, we may look at them as easygoing, and they may be folks like that, but I'm thinking that these are folks that who live more with a sense of indifference. They have no sense of passion. They have no sense of urgency. They're indifferent. They're ambivalent about life. In fact, they're lukewarm. Now, the indifference may come kind of from a variety of places. Sometimes it's from a very deep place within where they lack self-worth, so they never take a risk or they never step out of their comfort zone for fear that they're going to mess up. The indifference may come from having experienced a series of setbacks and they don't have the energy to be vulnerable anymore. I've tried that once. I'm not going to do it again. I think sometimes we can be so wounded inwardly that we create an indifference to life to mask our pain. I don't care. We tell people 
and we tell the world that we don't care, but deeply, we really do. It just hurts too much to care anymore. And so we act indifferent about life. Now, our indifference becomes in many ways a protective shield. It's this protective cover of our heart and soul. We act indifferent toward life. We act indifferent toward relationships. We act indifferent towards opportunities, even towards God and our spiritual journey. And in many ways, this feels safer. If I just don't care anymore, I really feel safe. But it comes at a great cost. And this is the cost. The cost incurred is a heart and a soul that lacks energy. It lacks passion, even deep fulfillment. I like to put it this way. It is a heart and a soul that has forgotten what it means to feel fully alive. Now, this might be a good place to reflect, to kind of check in, to invite a few moments of self-reflection. So examine your own journey. How's the energy level in your heart and soul right now? Now, maybe you didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Maybe you've had a busy week, so you're kind of confusing your physical energy level with your soul energy level, and sometimes that happens. But really, how is the energy level in your soul? Do you have a sense of urgency about life, or do you find that you're rather indifferent to life? I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to let life happen to me. I'm not going to create anything anymore. Do you find that you play it safe when it comes to vulnerability in your life? You've got this honesty and authenticity that you want to share, but you just keep it in. And do you care about anything anymore? Do you care about anything anymore? I just need to let that sit there. Just ask yourself that. Do you care about anything anymore in life? You know, when I began reflecting on this sermon earlier in the week, I'd intended to focus only on verse 20, the part about knocking on the door, and I'll get to that in a moment. But a shift took place when I began to reflect on the preceding verses about this church called Laodicea. This is a church that has all the marks of indifference, a church that's lost its passion, It's sense of urgency. John writes in the preceding verses that he says, look, you're neither hot nor cold. He says, in fact, you're lukewarm. And in effect, John is saying this. You know, guys, I wish you would at least either commit to being cold or commit to being hot, commit to something. But as it stands, you're lukewarm. You're indifferent. He says, just be one or the other, but don't just be in this indifferent place of I don't care. I've worked with couples and marriages where this indifference settles in. There's a sort of lukewarmness to the marriage, and in some cases, the apathy and the indifference gets so excruciating, one spouse literally would prefer anger and arguing over indifference. Because at least they say when we're arguing, there's a sense of urgency. At least when there's anger, there's energy. It might be negative energy, but I'll take negative energy over no energy. What John is saying to the church at Laodicea is this. At least be something. Whether it's hot, whether it's cold, choose one or the other. But the indifference, he says, is numbing your soul as an individual and as a faith community. Now, the reality is this. We may think our indifference can shut out life and others, and maybe it can, it does, but this is the beauty of it. It doesn't keep the living Christ from coming to you. 
Jesus looks past our indifference and really sees past it and often sees what we can't see or what we refuse to see, our potential, our gifts, our value, our deep worth, the person we can become and the person we want to become. Jesus sees right past our indifference and will not let us alone. I'm convinced of that. I believe that beneath our apparent indifference is a person who is desperately wanting to believe in life, wanting to believe in hope, wanting to believe in the beauty of passion, wanting to experience the joy of living. I believe that beneath our apparent indifference is a person who wants to live again, to be, if you will, resurrected from your own deadness. Revelations chapter 3 that um, Renee read, there's another translation that I use, New Living Translation, that phrases it this way, one of the verses, I am the one who corrects and disciplines everyone I love. And then it has this little phrase, be diligent and turn from your indifference. And this is the beauty of it. It's out of love, not disappointment, but out of love the living Christ comes to us to guide, to offer us a course correction in our journey. Out of love, Christ transcends our indifference, our lukewarmness, and seeks to enter into our life and our soul. And John writes, be diligent and turn from your indifference. I think it's interesting that the word turn in the New Testament is the same word for repent. So could it be that the most important thing I need to repent of is my indifference, my indifference to life, my indifference to my gifts and potential, my indifference to others in the world, especially those who are hurting and who are suffering? It's easy to be indifferent. It's easy to be indifferent to the suffering. I can turn the channel. And I don't have to see it anymore. We get overwhelmed by it. But it's easy to be indifferent to 2,100 people that have literally died in one of the worst earthquakes in 80 years because what? I can get up and turn off the TV. I can turn to ESPN. And all of a sudden, I don't have to deal with it anymore. It'd be easy to be indifferent to people who show up and say, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. I'm thirsty. It's easy to be indifferent to people who say, I am so lonely, I just need someone to talk to. It's easy to be indifferent to the living Christ. I think Christians do it in a very particular way. We get busy with a lot of activity, specifically religious activity. And I don't mean to disdain that, but I do think we get so busy with religious stuff and activities and meetings that we no longer have to deal with the indifference or the lukewarmness in our heart anymore or where we've just grown cold. John writes that the living Christ stands at the door and knocks, knocking on the door of our hearts, knocking on the doors of our life. A couple years ago, I wrote about this very verse. I was going through some old files this week, and I came across what I wrote, and it still speaks to me. That sounds kind of self-ingratiating. It spoke to me like I took notes on myself, but it actually did speak to me. And I hope it does to you as well. Here's what I wrote. The beloved, the God of divine love, knocks on the door of our hearts and souls. And this knocking is to let us know that God is present. The knocking is to get our attention. The knocking invites a response. The God who loves us immensely and seeks us out knocks on the door of our heart and invites us to open our hearts to divine love. And this knocking can be experienced in various ways. The knocking can be like a nagging restlessness and a longing for more. I don't mean this to sound sort of trite, but a lot of people get those knocks right about midlife. 
knocking on the heart. The knock may feel like a sense that something in my life needs to change. Something, sometimes the knocking on our heart feels like a hunger to go deeper, to love deeper, to open my life in deeper ways to beauty and joy. Sometimes it's a hunger for greater meaning and purpose. Sometimes this knocking feels like a sense of conviction or even divine correction in our life. It's time to make a change. Sometimes the knocking is like a deep desire to live life with more intention and to no longer drift in our life, but to be intentional about our life. And so I wrote, you may experience the knock of divine love in a different way, but however you experience it, listen for the gentle knocking upon your heart's door. It invites you to open up, to welcome the beloved, to experience joy at its deepest level. And Jesus says this, when we hear the knock, and if we respond by inviting Jesus into this moment in our journey, he simply says this, he will come in and share life with us as friends. And isn't that what we're about as Quakers? We're simply friends with Jesus, friends with one another. Jesus doesn't want to come into our life to tell us how disappointed he is with us. He just wants to come in and be friends and be in relationship with us and show us a life that is abundant and joyful and free and fully alive. I think the key to all this, at least for me, is I need to be listening. I need to be paying attention. One person put it this way. When a moment knocks on the door of your life, it's often no louder than the beating of your heart, and it's very easy to miss it. I can be so distracted, preoccupied, that I miss the knock. Sometimes I'm determined to be indifferent, to never feel again, to never allow myself to feel, and we miss the knock. Other times we feel that the door of our heart is one that the living Christ would never want to knock on, would never want to enter, because why would he want to be friends with me? And because of that, we miss this knock. And sometimes we're so busy, we can't slow down long enough to hear it, but in those rare moments when we do slow down, when we stop, we hear that faint sound of that knock on our heart's door, seeking to get our attention. Jesus just simply saying, why don't you invite me in at this moment in your life? A life that can now be much more fuller, to have energy, to have passion, to have joy. Why do we need that? Well, let me finish with this. We need it. This world needs it. Yes, you need it for our life to feel alive, but we need these kind of people who answer the knocks on the door of our hearts because our world desperately needs people who are alive and are awake. There's a fellow by the name of Erwin McManus who wrote a book called Wide Awake, and I'm just going to share this and then I'll close, but here's what he has to say. We need to live wide awake because there are diseases killing millions and we need to find a cure. There are famines leaving multitudes starving and we need to provide food. There are economies leaving families homeless and we need to create opportunities for work and wealth. There's genocide that must be stopped, slavery that must be ended. There are water wells that must be dug. There are children who need to be loved, relationships that need to be healed, elderly who need to be cared for, beauty that needs to be created, a future that needs to be saved, and dreams that we must not let die or go unfulfilled. There is a future that needs to be created, and it is waiting for you and me to wake up and get out of bed. The alarm has sounded. And it's time to shake off the slumber. You know, this morning when my alarm went off on my phone, I hit it about two or three times. Snooze, snooze, snooze. 
greatest invention ever, the snooze button. You just keep going back to sleep. But sometimes I hit that snooze button once too many in my life, in my soul. I'm being invited to wake up, and I just want to keep on snoozing and keep on snoozing. So you want to keep hitting the snooze button? You want to keep sleeping through this life? Or do you want to live wide awake, full of attention, aware completely of all that is around you and in you, experiencing the divine energy and joy that Christ brings? And to respond to that knock where he says, I'm here, why don't you let me in? Let's take a few moments.